Have you ever made a huge mistake or failed something miserably? Well, when you're broken, let God help rebuild and restore your failings. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast gives you inspiration. And we'd love if you share this with someone that you know so that they'll feel inspired too. Join us now for chapter 12 in our sermon series called The Story. This week, we continue hearing about King David and the trials he overcame. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Here's the thing about our stuff is that often we, we get the idea that God can't use us because of it. I think everybody's asked that at one time or another. Say, can God really use me? One of the things I hear from all of you as a pastor is, yeah, but you don't know the things I've done. I'm not a very good Christian. I haven't really lived my faith as well as I should be living it. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. And I've made some doozies. And then the question is, can God really use me? Well, maybe he'll use me for little things here and there, you know? Well, maybe not anything big. It's kind of like uh, when my mom was really mad at me when I was a kid. She would say through clenched teeth, Jason, I love you, but I don't like you very much right now. And I think sometimes we project that onto God, that God, I get that he loves me, but maybe he doesn't like me very much because I do the things that I do. I've made the mistakes that I've made. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about how God is not surprised that we are broken. And he wants to restore us. It's so funny, being a pastor, you know, it's like, people get a certain idea about what my life is like. <laughs> like, you know, this is my, this is us, this is a normal, this isn't even a holiday, this is just a normal dinner. <laughs> where lovingly looking at each other in the eyes, and we've all said grace and accepted Jesus into our hearts. Uh, but really, it's more like this, right? I mean, like, <laughs> maybe not at dinner, but the point is, is that life is more chaotic than people think it is. Is it to say, look, I'm not going to stand up here and, you know, give you a laundry list of all of my sins. That would be super inappropriate and very discouraging. But, <laughs> but listen, as the video says, we all have stuff that we're working through. Different reasons and different seasons. And the thing is, it's in the chaos and in the struggle that God speaks the loudest sometimes. And when we have the biggest opportunity to allow him to course correct our lives into a place of flourishing and peace and restoration and joy. Can God really use me? 
Well, today we're talking about the second half of King David's story. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And in fact, all throughout Scripture, he's always referred to as the man after God's own heart. He's the one. He's the one who had a heart like God's. And I think it would be easy to think, well, I mean, listen, of course he did well. He had a heart after God's. Like, of course he's like a superhero of faith. I can never be like David. David's faith was through the roof, right? And we're talking about how in the Old Testament so far, God's setting up the Messiah. He's setting up over thousands of years. He's setting up to understand what it really means that Jesus came. And the big thing that he's saying is, look, heart is greater than ability. I could do a lot with the right heart. But if someone is so full of themselves because of their talent, it's going to be hard for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That needs to be emptied out so that I have room to come in. I'll take the right heart any day because I could do a lot with that because your strength does not come from you. And so what does it mean to allow your heart to be shaped by God? Because our hearts just don't come from the factory perfectly attuned to God's voice. It takes some heart shaping. And there are a lot of things shaping our hearts all the time. Is God, though, is God part of that process? And the more our heart is like his, the more we flourish. And it really comes down to trusting. Do you trust that God knows what he's doing with your life? That's really what it is. Because we can believe all these things up here, but then go and live our lives as if we never heard it. It's called functional atheism. It's like you believe it here, but it never translates into your hands and feet. It never translates into your actions. What you believe is cemented by what you do. So if you trust God's heart, you'll let him shape your heart. And this is what David did. David allowed God to shape his heart. And then we started to see, what are the characteristics of a God-shaped heart? Well, a God-shaped heart begins with a relationship with God. And we said, like David's, it beats with courage, it beats with mercy and gratitude and humility. But there's one more. One more that we see in David's life brokenness brokenness is something god can leverage to make your heart more like his and david he was pretty broken at one point in his life he made a big mess of his life whatever mistakes you think you've made i doubt are even close to what david did what did David do? Well, he did exactly like God warned the Israelites when they wanted a king. He said, look, I know you said you want a king, but careful what you ask for, because you're going to get a human being there who's going to have all this power, and is probably going to mess it up. I mean, God didn't say it like that, but that's what he was saying. Sure enough, King David, at the height of his monarchy, at the height of his power, uses that power in sin. The story of Bathsheba and Uriah. Bathsheba was a woman in the kingdom who he saw out his door, he saw bathing. He immediately is like, I want her to be mine. Problem is, she was married to Uriah. 
Obviously, he's the king. He does not care. He commits adultery. But what's worse, Uriah is a soldier in his own army. And in order to fix the problem, he sends Uriah to the front lines, knowing full well what's going to happen. Sure enough, he's killed in action. This is the man after God's own heart. What? King David commits adultery and murder. Again, I don't know what your lives are like, but I have to assume you're not going to get that far. Adultery and murder. And here's the thing. Even after this all happens, later in Scripture, he's still referred to as a man after God's own heart. Why? That's the question. That's the question that leads to the answer of our question, can God really use me? But something had to happen before any of that. David had to face what he did. I don't know about you, but when I've committed sin, when I've done something wrong, I don't want to face it. I want to, like, stick it over there and lock it up. Pretend it's not there. The problem is it doesn't go away. It's just getting worse. And the thing is, you can't be restored until you face it. So David didn't want to face it. He's ignoring it. Because he could, right? He had all the power. I mean, he got what he wanted. Until, of course, a prophet comes to his house to confront him. As we've been saying, the prophet was supposed to be the voice of God to show up and course correct the king. So again, the prophet comes come, and I'm sure the king's just like, oh, geez, what I do now? I don't think David needed to ask But Nathan comes to confront him on it. And Nathan does it in a really interesting way. He tells David a story. And David doesn't realize the story is about him. Here's the prophet Nathan. 2 Samuel verse 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you. Your master's wives into your arms, I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. 
You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And you will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Interesting exchange, to say the least. In this story, Nathan gets David to face what he did. And David knew there would be consequences. Sure enough, there are consequences. But interestingly, David received more mercy than he was willing to give out himself. Remember in the story, David's like, that guy should die. And if you think stealing a ewe lamb was bad, and yet Nathan goes out of his way to say, your sins are forgiven. Now that you've admitted them, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't take away all the consequences, but you will know this. You will not die. Your chapter in your life is not over. There is another chapter to be written. The Lord's going to begin his restoration process. It's not going to happen all at once. It's going to take time. But it will happen. Even as bad as you've been, David, and you've been bad. The Lord's not done with you yet. Can God use me? You better believe he can, because he continued to use David. And we're on the other side of the cross. Our relationship with God is totally different anyway. Our heart is shaped by the indwelling Jesus Christ who lives within us. It's no longer God from the outside in. It's God from the inside out. So David is broken by his sin. He's completely broken. But once he finally faced it, and he confessed it, I've sinned against the Lord, then God could begin his restoration process. That's what it is in our lives, isn't it? I call it uh, getting on the scale. You gotta face it if you're gonna fix it. I know it's not what you wanna hear today, right before Christmas. <laughs> David was uh, a musician. We get a lot of our psalms from David. He wrote this psalm that I think reflects his confessing heart and his brokenness, but his excitement about that God wasn't done with him. I'm gonna read you a portion of Psalm 51. Psalm 51. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Some of you may even recognize those lines as a very famous worship song. Create in me a clean heart. Again, it's about the heart. It's a call out to God. God, I know that my heart is a mess. But I know you are the one to go to. You are the one who can restore me. So that the next chapter of my life, I can experience the kind of heart you want me to have. So, this is true for me, this is true for you. What do you do when you've blown it? What do you do? It's simple, but not simplistic. It's straightforward, but not easy. What do you do when you've blown it? The first thing is you own it. Can't just keep it over here. The second is you got to confess it. Confess it to the Lord and to anybody else who you've hurt. And then you got to repent from it. Repent's a very churchy word, isn't it? You've heard that, you know, it's on like signs at football games, the crazy guy, John 3, 16, you know, like, by the way, if you're here, I'm sorry, to, I called you crazy. <laughs> what, is, what does repent mean? It's, it's a word that means literally to turn away from. It's the equivalent of saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not just sorry, I'm not going to do it anymore. Repent from it. And then fourth, let God restore it. Go ahead and go to the next. There you go. Let God restore it. Can God really use me? Well, here's the good news. In God's army, there are only wounded soldiers. We all are broken. We all come from a place of brokenness. So why not let God leverage our brokenness to shape our heart so that we become more and more the people we are created to be Yes, I don't think he wants us to get into the brokenness. He doesn't want us to sin. Of course he doesn't. But he can use that brokenness. Instead of letting it be a barrier between you, God, and others, it can actually be a catalyst to greater faith, to greater compassion, to greater service, to greater love. You may be used more by God after the brokenness. Because you know it's not about you. It's about the one who is in you. Here's the thing. God still blesses David after all this. Still a man after God's own heart. And interestingly, again, every time his name comes up, he's referred to as the man after God's own heart. And it never mentions the gross interlude. 
Why? Because God forgave that sin and restored him. There were still consequences of the sin, but he forgave him. His son, Solomon, was going to get a really special assignment. And this was such an honor for David is that his bloodline would actually be used by God still, despite his mistakes. This is 1 Chronicles 22.10. The Lord tells him, Solomon is the one who will build a house for my name. He's going to build the temple in Jerusalem. No bigger honor than to build God's house, right? He will be my son and I will be his father. In other words, I'm going to be intimately connected with your son. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. All those promises that I made to you, David, yes, they still hold true. That's amazing to me. Again, anybody who looks at the Old Testament and says, no, 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 God's just kind of mad all the time, and I just want Jesus going to give me a hug. You're, you're missing it. This is mercy. This is grace. This is what God's heart is like. That's why we see it in Jesus, because Jesus is the walking, talking God heart alive amongst us. Of course, it reminds us of Jesus. That's what God's heart is like. But I don't think even David could have imagined what was going to come of this. Not even in his wildest. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Maybe the biggest miracle of what God's going to do in your life is on the other side of this brokenness. Isn't that exciting? He's not done with you. Not even close. I think brokenness is the other characteristic of a God-shaped heart. Because it pours out the ego and pours in the Holy Spirit. It allows more room for God to work because we realize that we don't work without God. Yes, God can use even your mess for his glory. But will you let him? God's not going to make us do anything. We could continue to allow our brokenness to be a barrier. As long as we want. But will you? 
Maybe this Christmas is going to change everything. This is a chapter in your story. Amen. So we invite the band to come up. Let me offer a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that despite our failings and fallings, you you love us. You still want to use us. You're not done with us yet. May we truly believe that. May it be more than just something that we are excited about in our heads, but that we live in our lives. Let our hearts beat with the same heartbeat as Jesus Christ. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your promises, your forgiveness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.